think it comes down to culture. Really, you know, I think most companies, when they think about bringing somebody in, right, they want to roll out the red carpet, they want to do the training, they want to welcome you to the team. And I think it's, it kind of goes in the face of your culture that then you don't red carpet people out in the same manner. Stacia Nelson is the CEO of Pivot Strategies, a corporate communications firm based in Minneapolis, serving the Fortune 500. She assists her mega-sized company clients with messaging around significant changes in culture, policies, and workplace resources and benefits. When McDonald's restaurants told their global corporate employees to stay home this week, as they conducted a round of deep cuts and layoffs, we wondered if the world's biggest fast food chain's decision to lay off by Zoom was a cutting edge approach to a more humane human capital strategy or a big nothing burger sparing the employer from having to confront their employees face-to-face. We thought Stacia Nelson was the right person to ask. Welcome to What I See, the podcast where we uncover the stories of visionaries, innovators, and entrepreneurs. Join us as we explore the big ideas and challenges shaping our future. And now our hosts, Mark O'Donnell and Lewis Schiff. Hey, Mark. How are you this morning? I'm doing well, Lewis. Yourself? Good, thank you. Um, probably better off than the folks over at McDonald's. That is probably true. Although, if you're at McDonald's, you're probably sent home for a little bit, waiting for a Zoom invitation uh, to find out your fate. Right, right. So it's a it's a slow burn. Billions of billions of hamburgers served, and hundreds of layoffs served as well. Mm-hmm. This is a, well, I'm going to preface this. We wanted to talk today with our audience about the topic of the, of McDonald's layoffs, which are not dramatic. I mean, any layoff for any individual is dramatic, but it's not in gigantic numbers. We're going to talk a bit about how they did it today. But part of this is just talking about how the world is changing in terms of the, the hybrid workforce and all this other stuff. So in, ter- in the context of, you know, what great innovators see, thought it'd be interesting to take this topic on today. Yeah, it, it's really an interesting one. And you have to think about these, these, what percentage of McDonald's workforce are they laying off? Something like 20,000 out of a couple hundred thousand. Right. And, and significantly overseas, I think. Right. And, and you have to think about these organizations, the long time players out in the world. McDonald's has been around for, for quite a long time. There, there was a study done and it was, uh, Printed in Harvard Business Review, I think in 1988, if memory serves, about the differences between companies who last hundreds of years, 300, 700 in some cases, what did they do differently? And they they learn really fast. They learn very quickly and adapt to their environment. And so learning, the speed of learning is the number one competitive advantage over long periods of time by a long shot. So I'm wondering if McDonald's and other companies are realizing that and they're just uh, adapting and learning very, very quickly on how they deal with uh, layoffs and many other things. Yeah. Yeah. But still this like amazingly, amazingly rich um, clash between like businesses doing what's right for business and human beings being treated in a certain way. In fact, I quote you all the time now, Mark, when you shared with me, you said, um, Capitalism is a methodology and socialism is an ideology. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people scratch their head when I start talking about it. But I say, you know, all those things we do in HR, all those things to try and make people feel comfortable and motivated and aligned, 
fall somewhat under so socialism in the sense that we're tr we're treating the social aspects of work in a very social way. And so that whole concept of, you know, capitalism being a methodology, like you just said, companies that learn best do best. And the sort of whole HR approach, the whole social structure of a company, social sociology and socialism is an ideology. I just think that's a very, first of all, a very functional way to describe this, these two things that have to come together to make a company work. And, um, and secondly, it uh, allows us to actually see where each of those things belong in the conversation. Well, we have a wonderful person joining us today. Her name is Stacia Nelson. Her company is called Pivot Strategies, and they do a lot of corporate communications work with really big companies in America. Um, and so we'd like to invite Stacia to join us now and join us in the conversation. Hey, Stacia, how are you? Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I know Stacia, she's a graduate of Birthing of Giants uh, Fellowship Week, and she's also a practitioner of EOS. Um, and she's based in the Minnesota, Minneapolis area. So, and I think as you can tell from the beautiful background she has today, she's somewhere up in the woods. <laughs> yes. I'm up near Lutzen, Minnesota on the North shore of Lake Superior. Fabulous. Fabulous. Well, um, you know, before we started this conversation today, we just were chatting with Stacia and, you know, this, uh, things related to layoff management are not, are not what pivot strategies does per se, but, they do do corporate communications, transformational change. So tell us a bit about what Pivot Strategies does, Stacia. So Pivot, our secret sauce is really the people on our team. We do consulting uh, with large companies to help them through big transformations, whether that's mergers, acquisitions, major technology rollout, or a big culture and HR change uh, or benefits change. And so we, our team is, we say, bread corporate, gone agency. We're all from the corporate environment. I myself uh, also came from the corporate environment, and we have just over 40 employees based in Minneapolis, but we do work all over the U.S. and actually globally as well. And um, if you're comfortable sharing, where where was your last biggest corporate deployment, and, and, and what did you learn there as you left that organization? You mean as with Pivot or before no, uh, when you were an employee of a large corporate? Oh, sure. So I was at Target Corporation, um, and actually I was part of a big layoff there, um, but uh, they reduced their workforce by 20% of their corporate uh, headquarters. Uh, my role at that time, I was actually leading corporate social responsibility, and so I was writing their, their um, what's today called ESG or CSR report. Uh, so I was managing a large agency and then and leading internal change with teams where we rolled out uh, desk side composting and recycling. This is when we all were in the office all the time. <laughs> amazing, amazing. And so give us an example or two or three of the kinds of things Pivot does today for its clients. Sure. So uh, a few examples, recent examples. Um, one, we we work with a we work with a very large med device company that had uh, recently acquired another large med device company. So two big companies coming together, and we worked with their IT team as they tried to make sure everybody could communicate and work together, uh, and and also have a high level of security given the nature of the work. So we rolled out 10 different initiatives, including Office 365 and some new security measures. And that project took, uh, initially it was slated for six months, ended up taking about three years um, and impacted all 90,000 team members. Uh, another example, uh, another large medical, different large medical device company was rolling out a new version of SAP for the medical device uh, part of their company. And 
uh, had rolled out to Europe or EMEA, but hadn't gone really smoothly. Uh, business operations had shut down because those who needed to do their job differently uh, weren't able to on day one. And so that was a big business disruption. And we came in and helped them with the uh, the largest wave, which was the U.S. Um, and North America. And then we are continuing to help them with that project. We're now on wave six. So those are a few technology examples. We also have done a lot of culture work, uh, large uh, agriculture company, for example, largest one of the largest agricultural companies in the world. Um, we've helped them roll out culture change, uh, payroll change, and uh, benefits changes as well. Cool. How, how's business? Business is great. We're just over 40 employees. We've been doubling pretty much every year. We turn eight in uh, on April 28th. So eight years in and, and going strong. Fabulous. Fabulous. Happy to hear it. Mark, start us off by framing what happened at McDonald's this week, and, and then we'll like run into what its significance might be. Sure. So, I mean, we, we see out in, in the world, large companies are starting to lay people off and re-entrenching. Maybe they overhired uh, when they felt there was a, a labor shortage and they just scooped up as many people as they could, whether they needed them or not. I don't, I'm not sure. But the, the news for McDonald's was that they were laying off a pretty a sizable number of people and they sent everyone home in their corporate offices and they would be notified in uh, to do a virtual meeting that says, hey, you're going to have a job or, or you're not. And they just really classified it as it's just a global restructuring. There's no real reason for alarm. But if I'm an employee, that's probably you know going home for a period of time and wait till I hear and get a Zoom link. Uh, it's, it's probably alarming to them. <laughs> uh, so that that's really the, the problem. So I think the biggest question is you talk about culture change and, and people are watching companies like McDonald's. People are uh, emulating companies like McDonald's. What do you think about their method of announcing layoffs, how they planned on doing it? You know, Elon Musk did this at Twitter and they, you know, probably got a text message or an email and saying, we don't need you anymore. I don't know. Um, is this a more humane way to do it the way McDonald's did it? Or is it coming into the office one-on-one -on -one and having a conversation, a better way to go? Yeah, that's a great question, Mark. I, I think it depends on uh, which human group you're talking about. Coming from change management, we, um, we often kind of divide people up into these groups when we think about large changes. So when I think about this, I think about the employees that are being let go, which is the obvious group, right? And how this impacts them. I also think about the employees who are left um, and they have to kind of carry the burden of what's left, all the work that still has to be done. I think about the employees, the HR teams who are actually doing the layoffs. And I also think about the executives. So I really think about four different groups. And I would say for three of the four groups, this is the easy way. The, the people who are doing the work, it's, I think it's a lot more difficult to uh, let somebody go when you have to look at them in the eye and, uh, you know, explain, hey, I'm sorry, this happened. But I think that's, for me personally, that's my preference. If I were going to receive this information, and I have actually gone through a layoff so I can talk about that, um, I do, I remember two things from the day I was laid off. I remember being in the room with 20 other people and this executive telling me, I'm so sorry, this is nothing to do with you. You know, this nothing, no reflection of your work. This is just literally something the company has to do. I remember that moment. And I remember the moment going out to the bars afterwards with all of my colleagues, whether they were staying or going and having that support and the hugs and, you know, drinks with, with colleagues. And so 
it's it's a blur when you go through this kind of a thing as a, an employee that's being let go. But uh, I think it is uh, the more humane thing for most of us. You know, some people might want to receive the information at home when they have family, but you also have to think. You know, Mark and Lewis, there's there's probably young people who came to McDonald's, came to Chicago to take these jobs, and they might not have anybody at home. And so how isolating and depressing it would be to be sitting at home receiving this news, you know, kind of in a in a silo. I'm probably going to get in so much trouble for doing this. I've been thinking about this as, as you've been talking, Stacia. But I always think about the sort of um, equality between employee and employer, you know, that they basically every day you show up at work again, it means your employer wants you there and it means you want to be there. And when employees say, I don't want to be here anymore, they don't, they don't owe us much other than just to let us know. I mean, in other words, it could be in the form of an email. It could be, uh, sometimes they leave without notice. You know, very, the, the concept of two weeks notice is more of a custom than a requirement. So sometimes people just disappear. And so every day the employee shows up is the day that the employee says, I'm ready to be here. I agree to the terms. And um, when they choose not to be here, the acceptable approach for them exiting is anything from two weeks notice to sitting down and having a really thoughtful strategic meeting with their employer saying, what's the best way for us to disentangle to just sending in the email, just saying, I'm outie. Um, why do we have a different standard for employers in terms of how they're supposed to approach these things than we do for employees? You're right. There's, you're, there's benefit on both sides, whether you're an employer or an employee, right? But I think comes down to culture, really. You know, I think most companies, when they think about bringing somebody in, right, they want to roll out the red carpet, they want to do the training, they want to welcome you to the team. And I think it's, it kind of goes in the face of your culture that then you don't red carpet people out in the same manner. So I think whatever your approach is, if you're a virtual company and you're onboarding people virtually, and then you're letting people go virtually, that's okay. That's your culture. But I think if your culture is in person, welcoming people, bring them to the table on that day one, week one, week two, or day in, day out, that your exit culture should reflect that. Well, that's that's a great answer. <laughs> that, that is. I, I, I like that. Um, but it's sort of like uh, marriages and divorces. You know, you, you <laughs> have a big celebration, but then you don't exit that same way. Or maybe they do. I don't know. Yeah, you <laughs> could have a divorce myself, celebration, but... but it's not common. Right. It's not common. <laughs> Um, and so do you think what McDonald's, I mean, I think it, so far what I can tell McDonald's is being judged very harshly and negatively for this approach by the public, by people like us. What do you think internally is the conversation? Yeah, I think that's a really important audience to consider because the people who are left are what's left after the, this culture has been divided, right? After your friends and colleagues have gone on to, you know, different places, um, I wasn't part of who was left when I personally went through a layoff, but I do know from keeping up with folks that it was a really hard place to be for a long time. And so I think what's going to be important, and we don't know what's going on internally, right? We only hear what's going on in the news, but I think what's going to be really important for McDonald's or any company that's going through this is to really think about how they're taking care of that internal team. And in my mind, part of taking care of your internal team is showing kind of how you're taking care of the folks you just let go because those are our friends and co you know former colleagues. So hopefully there's very robust communication about kind of you know how we how we handle this, why we handle this, taking care of those folks. Maybe there's some groups that are being set up. I know when the Target layoffs happened, there was a Facebook peer networking group that was set up by Target uh, former Target employees 
It was just a place to post, hey, I'm looking for work here, or I need help with this, or I've got a job opening here. It was a way to just reconnect with that target community. And that actually is still going today. So hopefully the company is just doing what they can to really show, you know, we know this, these people were not let go because they were poor performers. These, this right. was a corporate layoff. It's a totally different thing. And so everything we can do to set you up for success, whether it's telling their teams, hey, go throw three LinkedIn recommendations out there for three of your colleagues that you know were impacted. I mean, the company can do a lot to encourage and support the groups that were you know, the group that was exited. So I'm curious about what you think the internal conversation was. I mean, whatever, however, they came to this moment of, hey, why don't we approach it this way? Let's send everyone home. Let's, you know, whatever their thinking was, what do you think their conversation was internally that led them to this, this, this approach? You know, I, so I don't know the, the McDonald's culture, but my guess is if it was corporate employees, a lot of them may have already been working virtually because of pandemic and it may have just, you know, continued to be more virtual than it was previously. I know, I know restaurant and retail is generally more in person so that I don't know that for sure. But if, if that was happening, which is, is likely they were probably like, you know, a lot of people aren't here anymore. Maybe people are based in different parts of the country or people have now, a lot of people moved during the pandemic and are working from other locations. They might come in town for specific meetings, but they might not be living close anymore. And so it could have been a cost factor. Um, it could have been a convenience factor. I mean, certainly it was probably convenience was, was part of it, right? Why else would you, would you do it um, online? And depending on the numbers of people, it could have also just been, you know, this is just going to be really painful for everyone to see. And it'll be easier to kind of have it happen behind the curtain. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a believer in, and this is kind of a bad analogy, but you got to shoot your own horse. And so you, kind of, <laughs> you, you, you can't like hide behind the curtain or have somebody else do it for you. Right. So that feels a little bit like what McDonald's did in this situation to me. Okay. But the other side is, let's say you work out of the headquarters in Chicago. Let's say you've been for whatever reason, ended up post COVID two hours away or longer. Um, and then you say, they say, come, come here, get on a plane, get to drive two hours, come into the office, get dressed up so that we can fire you. Yeah. Yeah. And I get that. You know, it's kind of, to me though, it's kind of like weddings and funerals. You just, you kind of got to show up in person. It's hard to do it virtually. And part of it is the camaraderie and the people around you um, that make it worth coming. So it's not actually the incident itself, Lewis. It's more that what happens right afterwards and the support you receive from those around you. And you just can't have that in a virtual environment. I wonder if there's some continuity here between technology. So I, this, this much I do know about McDonald's and I know the layoffs were not about people in the stores, but they were one of the first to, two things happened. One is they put up these kiosks in their stores where you could order by pointing at the screen. And uh, that was done because technology allowed it to happen, but it ended up, you know, you used to have four people behind the counter. Now, now you had one. So three people lost their job or something happened to those three people. They, very, very cleverly, all the retail folks cleverly pitched it as contactless ordering because mm. COVID happened around that time. So clever, but really it was just, you know, we can now do this, so let's do it. So do you think the layoffs that take place and are going to be taking place consistently because of technological innovation and technological efficiency, uh, do you think there's any simile here? Like we use technology, meaning Zoom, to lay people off because technology is sort of displacing people? Hmm. That's a great question. Technology is definitely a part of, of everything and, and restaurants for sure have caught up on technology significantly over the next last number of years. 
I definitely think there's a difference between yeah corporate layoff because of economic concerns or, or hardships versus technology has just replaced these jobs. And I think it's actually going to be important that as a society, we communicate that because I think it's something we need to keep a close watch on in terms of how many jobs are actually being replaced by technology and what is the total impact to us as human beings on that. Uh, so I, I actually think those should be very distinct and different uh, types of scenarios. And we should be we should be in some way, you know, tracking that and keeping tabs on that and, and the impact it will have to us. In a lot of ways, too, if you're familiar with Price's Law, when you do these mass layoffs to the to the point of, of technology, just kind of doing a one to one replacement and in McDonald's case where there's a large number of people, you we would assume that they the excuse of COVID, while the methodology uh, might have been, hey, we, we do this now, we're, we're used to Zoom, it's much more efficient, it's way cheaper, we're trying to save money anyway, and to fly thousands of people into Chicago to lay them off or even fill up the parking deck <laughs> for a day is not worth it. And we're, we're just going to use this point of time to justify that. But Price's Law is interesting in that and it's, of course, a theory. Uh, we like to call things theories, laws anyway. But it's that 10% of your people produce 50% of your results. And now the issue is that if you're doing a mass layoff, well, which 10% am I laying off? Because I'm not sure if I know uh, if it's the 10% that produces the 50% result. How would you go about thinking through who gets laid off. Uh, if you're a leader and a manager and you're like, oh, there's some headwinds coming our way. We have some economic uncertainty. We may have accidentally or uh, out of fear hired too many people. How do I go about determining if I'm gonna lay 20,000 people off, well, which 20,000? Yeah, that's a, it's a hard question, right? Because, um... And I think it gets harder as the company gets bigger because it gets more difficult to make those decisions on such a large scale to have total impact. But I can tell you as a leader how I would approach that. Again, it goes back to culture. I'd look at our core values and we actually, we do follow EOS. So we do the people analyzer every quarter to see, you know, are you plus, plus, minus, minus on these core values? And I think, you know, those who are most in line with their core values plus get it, want it, have capacity for it are obviously the first ones that we want to preserve. And then those that, um, you know, aren't the perfect score, but maybe are still at bar would kind of be the kind of second tier to evaluate and figure out, can we get there? And then, you know, the third would be anybody who's, who's, who's hitting below that bar would be the obvious place to, to make those cuts. Now, I don't know that the people analyzer really measures that like, you know, 10% are having the 50% impact on the company. Um, but it kind of does, because if your core values are really set up right, uh, there's definitely performance components that fall into those core values. And so I feel like for us, we, we would be able to figure it out just from the people analyzer. Um, maybe a few you know, of the of the other metrics that we that we measure on the leadership team would help impact that too. Yeah, I appreciate what you're saying earlier about how uh, culture, you know, if you're a culture that wants to lay out the red carpet when they come in, then you should have at least some modicum of decorum when you when you reverse that red carpet. But you must do things for clients large corporate clients where you know there's another side to it. You know, even if you're doing the right thing, even if we're rolling out a new benefit, what they're going to hear is they took away that 800 number or, you know, there's always a, another side to a, a new thing you're doing. What do you, how do you guys handle 
the other side of it. You know you're trying to lay out something that you can make the cases better, but you know that there's people out there that are going to grumble about it as it's changed and, it's, and therefore it's worse. The core thing is you got you to gotta tell the whole story. You can't just tell part of the story or it just feels like spin and it feels like, you know, internal PR and it just feels people's you know bs meter will go off so uh, and for good reason so i think you got to tell the whole story you have to tell the what's in it for me for the individuals that are impacted but you also have to tell the what's in it for the greater good or for the company or maybe that's just for shareholders and just be be honest about that because you know there's nothing you know we're kind of getting to this place where we have a lot of concerns about companies and capitalism and a lot of these companies they, they are for-profit companies. They are not nonprofits. And so it's okay to have a conversation and say, you know, part of this is bottom line. And I think there's a lot of companies that are afraid to say that. And I don't think they should be because um, they're not a nonprofit. They are they are there to, to make a profit. So you got to tell the whole picture. The other thing is you have to roll out gradually. So McDonald's shared this news in January. I actually think that was a little early to share because that's like two months of being on pins and needles for employees. I think that's a little anxiety inducing. I'm not sure why they shared it that early, but you know, I think two, three weeks in advance is a good amount of time um, to give people a little bit of the headline, this is coming, um, start thinking about getting their ducks in a row. It gives them that opportunity, maybe start apply for jobs if, if you, you know, if you know it's coming and you've already been thinking about a role or something that you're interested in, give them a little bit of notice. So the, the, the rule of thumb is communicate three to seven times before it actually happens. Um, and the more you can kind of spread that out. Uh, with within reason, the better. I, if I were McDonald's, I probably would have started sometime mid February to have it happen early April. And do you do you ever if you're saying you have to be totally transparently at both sides of the argument? So let's say you're you're working with corporate, you lay out the argument. You know we're doing this. Here's why, and here's we understand. Here's the disruption it might create in your lives. Is that what you mean by creating being transparent? Yep. And then when when let's just say in a tweet or something that happens, you know through any kind of social media or gossip even, they only focus on the part where you said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to lose your 800 number. You're going to lose this benefit. Mm -hmm. And you're like, yeah, yeah, but you forgot the other side where we told you about all the pluses. I mean, is that inevitable? You just say, look, that's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, that's human behavior. I mean, in change management, we call that a B3 bomber. It's someone who's not really on <laughs> change, you know? And so we actually, we, we pay attention to those and we make sure we're really working with that person individually. We'll kind of carve out individual one-on-one time, especially if that person is an executive or a leader whose people are following them and listening to them. That's called, we call them a resistor. That's, it's a resistor to change uh, if you're focusing just on the bad and not the good. But, you know, ideally, if you're doing change well, you're actually getting to that executive and sponsor level first because you know that they have followers, whether it's because they have been at the company for 20 years and they're just, you know, a senior manager, but they're they're just really well loved and people respect them, or whether they're, you know, an SVP and people are going to be listening to them just because of their title. Either way, you need those people on your side. And so part of really good change management is identifying who those people are and bringing them to the table early and listening to them when they share concerns about some of the changes that are coming and making sure that you're addressing those concerns. So ideally, that's not actually happening. Um, Now, you might have some individuals that might, you know, take off pieces. All of this should stay internal. It is internal communications. It is confidential. So nothing should be communicated externally that would actually be you know, in some cases, grounds for termination. Yeah, but that's not the world we live in anymore. I mean, we have so many uh, even confidential ways of distributing. Even I'm looking at one article about inside about uh, McDonald's, and it ends with the the reporter puts this at the bottom of the article. Do you work at McDonald's or have insight to share? Contact me on the Signal app. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. Sigulab. Okay. That's funny. Uh, well, I so yeah. knowing that I was coming into this, I actually did reach out to a friend of mine who who works at McDonald's and I actually had already reached out to her prior to this news just to say, hey, I heard this is coming. I'm thinking of you. Let me know if I can help. And it turns out this person was actually part of the layoff. So I did get a little insider uh, information on kind of how it went down and how it was received. So yeah, I mean, it's true. People are going to talk, right? And and they want to have a voice. And um, I think especially with a layoff, you can't shut people up. It is their right to have a conversation, especially you're not even part of the company anymore. But if you are part of a bigger change that's happening internally, um, and you are on the team and they're paying your salary. Like you said, they're they're showing up every day. Their agreement is to be there and do the job. And if a change is part of the job, they need to go, you know, they need to do the job. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. I would definitely want to ask more about your friend, but I'll let that one lie. Well, Mark, what do you think? You you know, you're, you're a leader of, of men and women and, uh, you know, things happen. Things definitely happen. And, and Stacia, I wanted to ask you, from, you mentioned core values and uh, culture change in general. We, we think about culture as these uh, set of behaviors that are enduring for a long period of time, if not forever. We don't really think that at some point our culture won't work. Inside of an organization, it, it's rare that you have the foresight to say there's something about our culture that won't work in the future. We won't be able to serve our customers well. We're not going to be able to withstand any sort of environment that would require some resilience. And so we need to intentionally create a culture shift. So I'm wondering if big companies like a McDonald's are thinking about strategically using layoffs to change and shift their culture to meet the demands of the future. Have you seen that occur? How would you take someone through that? I absolutely think that is part of some of the culture change work that we're seeing. Just naturally, when you're a large company, if you are a large and uh, long-standing company, meaning you've been around for more than 10, 20 years, right? You have people who are naturally in the company who kind of are the old guard, right? They they do things the way that they were done. That was the way we had to do things in order to be successful in our past life. But now we're in this new place and they just can't get there, right? They just can't adapt and change with the direction that we're going. Uh, I think, um, you know, it's, it is always harder with larger companies because you kind of think about you know, as a, as a small company like mine, 40 plus people, you, it's like a speedboat. If you want to change, you just change, right? If you're a large company, it's like one of these barges out on Lake Superior. Like if you want to churn, there's an iceberg right ahead. You better start churning really far in advance because it takes a while for things to shift, right? And and you can run into the iceberg in the process. So you have to, you have, to have some of that foresight, right? Before the company, you know, goes down goes down or, you know, has a big negative impact as, as part of it. But I think that, yeah, these when you do a culture shift and you do people changes alongside of it, it's a way to kind of fast forward the culture into the place you want to be. So do you think the McDonald's approach this month was in any way connected to the Twitter Elon Musk approach? Do you think one led to the other? You think they talked about it like, oh, that worked. Let's try it here. I'm sure it came up in conversation. I doubt that they are following suit just because Twitter did it. You know, companies like McDonald's are so well established. They have such, you know, incredible 
professionals and executives and probably consultants advising them. I doubt that they you know, made this decision based on that. But, you know, for them, it might have been an experiment. It may be something we're going to try this now. Uh, it feels like the right decision for us now, but it's not something that we're committing to doing forever. Um, so I hope that they'll take and learn from this and kind of uh, observe what worked and what didn't about it. And then, you know, be open to changing their approach in the future if they felt like it wasn't in the best interest of all stakeholder groups. Maybe so, there's a little bit of a Roger Bannister uh, effect where no one thought the four minute mile was possible uh, until someone did it. Now everyone's just like, yeah, hey, Elon's still, you made it. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, could be, could be. And I, that, that could be that this was an experiment. And mm -hmm. what do you think if it were an experiment, Stacia, if you were, if you were asked uh, to send in your paragraph or two about the nature of the experiment, what would you say? Well, the, the, I couldn't say anything because I'm not part of it. I would talk to the people who were let go. So the one person I have talked to um, happened to actually not be in the office that week anyways. Um, and so they received this news, you know, from a from a beautiful destination. And so uh, they were <laughs> actually like, OK, well, I got, you know, I got a package and I'm actually good for a while. And now I can just kind of enjoy where I'm at. You know, so that person is just one one voice, right? And there was there's I don't know how many exactly it was probably hundreds or thousands that have a voice there. So I would actually be really interested to hear you know how people felt about it themselves because hey, if they did feel fine about it, if it wasn't a big deal, then why not do this in the future? It is more cost effective if you know if if people aren't negatively impacted by it, then yeah. And back to the. Twitter thing. I do know other tech companies who are going through some layoffs. For example, Meta, I do know that they were looking to Twitter when they made that decision. And so they kind of followed suit because of that. So I think depending on the industry, it does set a tone for other companies. I, you know, I just think McDonald's versus Twitter, quite, quite different uh, cultures to begin with. I'd like to leave with a closing question for, for you, Stacia, and then I'd love to hear Mark's thoughts as well. I think you just said, Stacia, look, if this worked better, in other words, if you talk to the thousands of people affected and they said this was actually not a bad way to do it, and we could learn as a community about how these things are done. So if the standard is, if it's better, we should try to do it. What if, so I was at Oxford University last, last uh, August, and one of the presentations I saw was an empathy bot, empathy AI. And it was being set up by the, the client or the target audience was HR departments. So a bot to manage staff with empathy. So what if it turns out that the most empathic approach to doing this was to unleash a bot that was really good at empathy on the workforce to let them know? Yeah. I mean, I think if it's showing that it's having better, you know, results for the way that someone receives the information, it's a hard thing to go through, right? And so if we can make it easier, and also if it's saving on cost, and so then you can give more as part of your severance package and things like that, then absolutely, I, I would do that. But I think I would turn that upside down and inside out and say, well, then should we also be doing that for onboarding and training? Should we also be doing that for you know quarterly check-ins or reviews and some of the other pieces? Because I, I believe in that consistency in culture across the board. And so if we're going to do that at the end, let's do it kind of throughout. And um, that way it doesn't come as a shock to the person. Mark, what do you think about an empathy bot to help you make hard management, hard decisions where you have to communicate to the rank and file? I mean, when, when you say it at first, it's sort of like you are shirking your responsibility as a leader and as a manager and you're delegating it to a bot. You're taking the easy way out. However, to the point of results, if you can get better results 
in a smaller amount of time and effort, I would say you have an obligation to use the bot because it's, it's sort of any, like any technological change or shift, you know, going from horses to cars, whatever, um, results matter at the end of the day, the results getting a, now, how are you measuring the results? Are we really sure that using a bot and someone knowing that it was a bot, uh, did it pr really produce better results? And if yes, that's the case, it produces better results. It's more consistent communication. It's personalized to each individual based on some uh, historical data. Then I think you're under obligation to use the bot hmm. because it produces better results than you doing it yourself with all the inconsistencies and people are weird. I mean, I think Lewis, you and I had a conversation a little while ago about people who watched friends. They watched friends on TV. They were by themselves. They never had any human interaction and they would report that they feel very satisfied in their friend relationships because they <laughs> yes. watched friends. They actually interacted with no other humans, but they felt very satisfied in their friend relationships and they watched the TV screen. So I think it's the same thing. I mean, if, if we can feel super satisfied with friends uh, and never having actual any uh, human interaction besides the television screen, results are what matters most. Yeah. Well, Stacia, what, uh, if you had to sort of armchair quarterback this thing, or what's the rear window assessment here? So would you say um, you're, you're interested in this approach, you're a fan of this approach, you're curious about this approach, or you're down on this approach, or what? <laughs> uh, it depends if you're talking about for my own team or for as I consult and talk to large companies. For your clients, yeah. Yeah, for my clients, I would say, yeah, I would say be reflective of your culture, what you want your culture to be. I think this speaks... This speaks to who you are, um, not just to those who you let go, but to those who are left. And so I think it really, I personally am old school and I was let off, let go in an old school manner. And I actually appreciated being looked in the eye by someone who I knew and respected and was kind of, uh, you know, on the executive team for the company I was working at. Uh, that meant a lot to me to see the emotion in her face. Um, and it meant a lot to have my colleagues around me. So I would just, I think a personal story like that is always something that someone should think about. So I would, I would approach it, be a mirror of your own culture, but also think about those individual stories and what people are going to say about you later. Fair enough. Very reasonable. Thanks, Stacia. Thanks for joining us today. And thanks for giving us some of your time. I know that you're on vacation, so I appreciate you making the time. Happy to help. Thanks for having me. Thanks guys. Bye Stacia. Mark, thoughts on the news of the week and, uh, and McDonald's and all of this? Well, I think in general, large companies, these really smart companies that have been around for a long time are making these layoffs strategically because they know something is coming or they're correcting mistakes that they made uh, leading up through COVID and, and hiring as much as they, they hired. And, and I think at the end of the day, results do matter with the methods that they chose to employ. It is about efficiency. It's about, uh, we are all used to communicating in a digital world. And those of us who are not up to speed or really comfortable with that change, that technological change, the culture change in a greater uh, society, get a little bit bristled by the fact that they did it using technology as opposed to face-to-face, -to -face, but I think that's just par, par for the course. 
Um, and so it's really going to be interesting to watch other companies look at, you know, Twitter was kind of the first one because Elon Musk is, is Elon and he does things in an in interesting way. Then Facebook and then all these other companies. Now you have different non-tech companies doing the same thing. It's going to be really interesting to watch how how this happens. And uh, unemployment is is so low. There, there's definitely room for uh, some re-entrenchment there. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I really believe that technology tends to win. And I think that this is sort of the first step towards using technology to exit people. You know, this is technology by Zoom, which you've got to think about the moment, right? Like when they're in your office, let's say, let's say I've given you 15 minutes and I'm going to lay you off. And so it's from 1 p.m. to 1.15. But, you know, that could easily stretch to 120 and 125. And then my next appointment is, is off and I'm doing this six times an hour or four times an hour. You know what I mean? It can get screwed up versus on Zoom. Hey, Mark. Anyway, it was great talking to you. Got to go. Button. Click. Over. And just it feels like you have some control in the moment. I just think the technology is going to do it more. In other words, it's going to be you're going to go on some sort of a Zoomish thing. Maybe some avatar-y person is going to set you up for the conversation, and eventually it's going to all be run by tech. But she makes an interesting okay. point, Stacia, which is that yeah. uh, if you if you roll out the red carpet when they come in, you have some obligation to treat them similarly when they exit, which I think is a very interesting thing to think about. That's a, definitely a humane way to, to think about. It. However, the emotional component of that one is filled with excitement and novelty, and I can't wait to dig in. Versus, we're separating, we're parting ways. Yeah. And so, I, and it could be just in the in form of a, a separation package or yeah. something that you're celebrating in, in a little bit of a different way of gratitude and uh, appreciation. Somebody, uh, one of my mentors said to me, when you're trying to figure out what the separation package should be, he said, write a check big enough where you'll have no guilt. You know, yeah. so if I'm giving you $50,000 and you're still grumbling about it, like that's on you, not on me. You know, just what's yeah. the number that makes you say, hey, I'm doing the best I can. I'm a big fan of uh, having a, a check at the end of a relationship. It's doing the right thing in my view. Yeah. All right, Mark. Well, thanks for, thanks for, uh, as ever, we get to spend some time with you and, um, I can see you got your pen shirt on your graduate. Oh, yes, I, I, I do. Yeah. <laughs> now proud graduate member of the alum. Yes, that's right. What yeah. are the benefits? You get like free coffee at the airport. Free coffee at the airport. You can go to the, the pen club <laughs> anywhere uh, around the world, I suppose, and maybe get free coffee there. Otherwise, it was just a great time to, to spend uh, a little over here at Wharton. <laughs> Very cool. Yep. All right, Mark. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Louis. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to another episode of What I See, where we explore the stories of the visionaries shaping our world. We hope you found insights and inspiration from our guests. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and continue to be a part of the conversation. See you next time on What I See.